Good morning, everybody. Glad to see everyone was able to shovel out this morning. Um, I had a fun time. I don't know about you, but glad that we were able to be here. And um, hopefully others will be joining us on the live stream. Welcome to you. Some locally uh, that uh, couldn't get out because of the snow and others just uh, around the country and around the world. Uh, welcome to you folks as well. Our text uh, this morning is taken from the book of Hosea once again. This time, chapter 6, please, if you turn to Hosea chapter 6, just the first three verses, short Bible reading this morning, but uh, one that I think you will see is loaded with uh, gospel truth and encouragement. And so uh, with... Uh, with that, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word, Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know Yahweh. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So just uh, for a, a little bit of review... Uh, and I do mean a little bit, um, try not to re-preach the last two sermons as we come to what really is um, the point of where we want to get uh, in this passage. As we started in chapter 4 and verse 1, we noted the, the, the big problem that Israel had was that of ignorance of their God, that they did not really know him. And the picture of Hosea and his marriage to, to uh, Gomer, we noted that the worst part of her uh, adulterous sin against him was, was I mean, as bad as the acts of adultery are. Um, the reason that she did that was even worse, and that is that she did not know her husband, did not... Um, even seemed to try to make an effort to know uh, to know him. Um, she was married to him, but he she lived with him as if he were a stranger and treated him that way. And that was the worst part of that sin. Well, Israel was doing the same thing against their God. They they had been brought up out of the land of Egypt, established in the land, shown over and over and over again of God's faithfulness and love to them. And yet they lived in his presence as if he were a stranger to them, as if he had done none of those things, as if there were no covenant whatsoever between them. They were living in ignorance against, uh, against him. And chapter 4 uh, talked about those elements of ignorance. Perhaps you remember what those were, that there was no truth or no uh, reliability or being true to God. Uh, they knew stuff. 
They had intellectual knowledge, but they did not live according to that knowledge. And so there was no truth in them. There was no loyalty, which is a very characteristic of God himself. Uh, we've just actually used that word, uh, though uh, you may not have caught it in Nehemiah's 9.17 when we read that affirmation of acceptance there when we noted that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the same word for loyalty that we see, or mercy that we see there in uh, chapter 4 of Hosea, verse 1. It's that word hesed, which has to do with loyalty to a covenant or a promise. It's motivated by love for that person to whom you're in covenant. They, Israel was not living that way. Gomer certainly wasn't living that way with Hosea. There was no loyalty there. And the result was there was no real, real knowledge of God in their experience. Mental knowledge is not the picture there in chapter 4 and verse 2. When we speak of there's no knowledge there, it has to do with knowledge or wisdom that comes about from a personal encounter. And they had all kinds of head knowledge, but they had never really walked in relationship with God. And that was demonstrated by the fact that they didn't have any regard for his law, that they were disobedient, they forgot who he really is, they refused to know him, they did not seek him out. They uh, sought out religious wisdom and satisfaction in other gods, other deities. They were enslaved to their comforts, they persisted in their spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness to him. And ultimately then were treasonous against their covenant obligations. They didn't give him thanks. They raised their children to go after other gods. Um, they even, uh, we saw in verse, in chapter 5, they even tried to basically, took him under leadership, uh, erase the very consciousness of God from, from the nation's view um, in, in the nation's obligations to him. And so the Lord goes on there in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 to talk about the, the punishment for that ignorance. And it boils down to the word judgment. Judgment upon the land itself, judgment upon the leadership, judgment upon their, you know, all the relationships that they had in, in the home and uh, in the, just in the fabric of society. The, the, I don't know if you ever stop to think about how many, I'll just use the word alliances, you have with others. It's just as part of being a person who lives within a culture. Whether it's a work alliance, a family alliance, friends alliances, um, social political alliances, um, cultural, creative, uh, entertainment, arts, all those kind of things. If you're working with somebody else towards a common goal, you're in alliance with them. And so all of those things, uh, the Lord says he's bringing his judgment upon those kind of alliances and culture, uh, the society was disintegrating. We certainly see a lot of that in our own society here uh, in the West. Judgment upon their worship. You would think, well, if I at least go to worship, things will be fine there. But uh, the Lord did not receive it. Um, would relieve people of their responsibilities that were were in leadership. They were supposed to be kings, uh, priests, and a holy nation under God, representing God before a fallen world. And the Lord just 
says, I'm going to take you out of that. Uh, you're not going to have the privilege of serving me, even though you go through the motions, because empty ritual is not going to reach God. And the judgment would be complete. Um, it would come quickly, and the rebellious would be wasted away. Uh, the, that's the picture that we see of Israel in relationship to their God, and certainly Gomer in relationship to her husband, Hosea. And by extension, us, if we strive to uh, supplant God with gods of our own making, with loyalties to ourselves, or to just putting more effort and, and love and devotion to the things of this world than, than the Lord himself. We will not know his blessing, but we will know his judgment. But thankfully, this passage does not end there. If you'll look at, I've read chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, but jump back just one verse into chapter 5. Of course, I think everybody knows, you know, that uh, the chapter divisions are not inspired. Uh, so uh, it's an ongoing narrative here. Verse 15 is, is uh, an important verse. It's a transitional verse. We we talked about this just briefly. We mentioned it last, last time. But I want to return to it a bit uh, as a way of introducing this last section here. Where the Lord is speaking in chapter 5, verse 15, and he says, I will return again to my place. He's saying, basically, I'm withdrawing from you, Israel. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress earnestly seek me. And then what we have in chapter 6, 1 through 3, is a model prayer, if you want to put it that way. We've prayed the Lord's Prayer together today as a model prayer, as an alphabet of our our, uh, prayers unto the Lord. Well, this passage, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the Lord is saying, "This this is the nature of your seeking me that I'm looking for. This is what should be evident in your heart. This will be the cure for your ignorance. He said, okay, um, I'm not going to be blessing you until you seek me. All right, what does that look like? Verse 1, come, let us return to Yahweh. And the covenant name is used there, the Lord in all caps. Come, let us return to, essentially, not just him personally, but return. But what that name represents, let's return to covenant loyalty to him. That's just a, that right there is a huge point. But uh, there are three main components that are here. Verse 1, 2, and 3, uh, we find them there. And that returning to covenant faithfulness, naturally, you just think about it for a second. What would be the logical first step in returning and seeking him when you've been rebellious repentance yeah yeah so we see that there in verse one let us return to Yahweh he has torn us that he may heal us he has struck us down and he will bind us up you know this is something repentance uh, I remember years ago I had um, a pastor uh, tell me that repentance was just an Old Testament concept and uh, wasn't necessary uh, anymore. 
It's like you never never mind that re, you know repent for the kingdom of God is at hand is is liberally sprinkled throughout the Gospels. Not to mention the you know the uh, rest of the apostle uh, apostolic writings are loaded with admonitions to repentance. But no, it was just an Old Testament thing. We don't have to repent anymore. And yet it is absolutely the first step towards restoring a right relationship with God. If we want to have a right relationship with the one true and living God, that's not going to happen if we're going to insist on maintaining our lifestyle of rebellion against Him. I mean, that is so logically apparent that it is mind-boggling that anybody could think that it's not necessary. That is the first first step there. And notice, uh, this is something we should pray for. Um, <laughs> speaking of apostolic writings, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, Paul is giving instruction to Timothy about how he's to address those who are walking in sin. And he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. That passage is often turned to as, a, as, one of, as a, you know, putting forth one of the duties of leadership in the church and purposes of church discipline and so on. And it's, and it's true, it applies there. That is certainly a, a big part of what Paul is saying there. But notice what is intimated here as you're correcting those, if God will perhaps grant repentance, which suggests to me very strongly that this is a matter of, you know, for the, the person in leadership in this particular case, Timothy, he's saying, Paul is saying to him, don't just go and hit him over the head with a baseball bat. You're coming before the Lord, seeking that person's restoration. There is prayer underlying all of this. So we need to be praying for our own repentance and praying for the repentance of others if we're going to help folks get out of this deadly cycle of ignorance, of forgetting who God is and of rebelling against him and seeing that ignorance cured, that ignorance addressed um, and done away with, with, with truth. Repentance is the first place. We need to start there. But what happens if you repent and then go wallow in the mire once again? Well, first of all, you need to repent again. But there's, a, there's a, something that follows logically on that thought of repentance that we have there in verse 1. The Lord, the Lord has dealt with us. He's brought us to the end of ourselves. He's... He's taken us through affliction because he corrects, chastises every son whom he receives. That's part of his loving dealing with us, though sometimes those afflictions and those chastisements do not feel very loving. And yet the Lord uh, does those things to refine us, to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we will truly and earnestly seek him and trust in him. And when the, Lord, when the Lord works in us that way so that he may heal us and bind us up, look what we have in verse 2. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. 
So you see a lot of a, a lot here, by the way, in this cure for ignorance. Um, you've probably already picked up on, and that is that who is the prime mover and shaker of of fixing our ignorant condition? It's God Himself, right? <clears throat> He's the one who's torn us. He's the one who strikes us down. He's the one who heals us, binds us up. He's the one who revives us, raises us up. As we repent, and then what is, what, what's then the follow-up the follow here? Once you've repented, not going back and doing the same stuff again. I'm using the word here in my notes of consecration. That is, I'm taking that from the living before him. That our hearts are, are, are set so that we will live with a conscious awareness of his presence and the necessity of our accountability before him. That we set ourselves apart from him. That we turn from our wicked ways. We turn from our rebellion. We turn from our idolatry. And we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord himself. You've uh, probably noticed here interesting um, uh, imagery. After two days, he will revive us up and up. up and re- sorry, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Does that bring anything to your mind? Yeah, it's a rather oblique uh, reference, foreshadowing of the very redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was in the grave for three days paying the price for our sins. And uh, it it might call to your mind that whole uh, uh, idea of the imagery of being buried with him in baptism and being raised again to the newness of life. It's pulling in passages like this. Israel needed to be restored to covenant. They were living in ignorance. Gomer needed to be restored to covenant. She was living in ignorance, rebellious ignorance. But the Lord, after a period of time, two days, three days, uh, he will raise us up. And truly, um, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead after three days. In fact, witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people at the time. That even so much so that even secular historians noted that this was some. This is what's reported, um, and some even stated it um, as factual information because it was so well attested. So here we have this foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we consecrated? It's by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will fulfill this. And, and interestingly, in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is, it is uh, true of him that to know him aright is eternal life. To not live in ignorance of him, but to know him and to seek to know, uh, to know him and the power of his resurrection. So, two steps so far in the cure for ignorance. First, repenting of our rebellion. Second, by his grace, consecrating ourselves unto him, living before him in the power of his resurrection. 
No longer being enslaved to sin and death because Christ both died, rose, and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So then, now we're, uh, we've got our, our feet under us. We've turned from our rebellion. We've established ourselves uh, by God's grace. Uh, our feet set upon the rock. We now uh, are on sure footing. So with that sure footing, what do we do? Sit down and hope for the best? No. So look at verse 3. I love this. Particularly, keep in mind all that we've talked about so far, about Gomer not knowing Hosea, and about Israel not knowing, and about forgetting him, and not wanting to know him, and refusing to know him. Here is the prayer. Ultimately, let us know. Let us know. You really want to know God. I mean, I, probably most everybody in here would say, at least give lip service to the fact that, or to the desire that, uh, yes, I want to know God. But sometimes I'm not sure we think through that prayer, very, that statement very well before we utter it. Because then when we find out what it, what it means to know him, what it means to bear his reproach, what it means to um, uh, suffer um, at the hands of the wicked when, as we await for the consummation of all things, or just have to deal with our sins on a daily basis and recognize that we can't just live any old way that we want to because we're not, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. For some, it's too big of a price to bear. And they go their own way. But once we've repented and we've, we're consecrated unto the Lord, what should be characteristic of us then and, and is ultimately the, um, the means through which our ignorance is done away is to pursue God, to pursue him. Uh, let us know, verse 3 says, let us press on to know Yahweh. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This, is, this imagery is not an accident here. Remember what one of the, the, the very first thing uh, out of the gate when it came to the punishments that were being inflicted upon Israel? It was punishment upon the land, drought, Crops, livestock, um, no water, all of that dried up. When we know God, there will be times of refreshing. He will come to us as showers. And it will come to us as the spring rains that water the earth. That word press on there, that phrase press on there in verse 3, interesting. Um, it, it's the idea of uh, pursuing in order to overtake something. It's not just about jogging along aimlessly. Um, I'm not a jogger. I've never been a jogger. I should probably be a jogger, but I'm not. I find it really tedious. Uh, because it's just like, 
And I tried it with my, I tried a bicycle too, okay, so that's faster tedium, okay. Because it's just, it's for when it comes to exercise, it's like, uh, yeah, where am I going with this? Well, I'm going to run around the block. I'm going to run around the neighborhood. I'm going to, I don't know, I'm more motivated if I know I have something at the end of the road that I'm going to, that I actually have a goal. Uh, but I just find just walking the walking the same route or running the same route or whatever. That's not 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 for me. And thankfully, this word helps me out here and feeling good about that. Okay, because this when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, I think for some of us uh, it, it can be very easy to slip into our routine. I'm just going to jog around the spiritual neighborhood. I'm going to go to church, do my Bible readings, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fellowship with people. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And we're just kind of going through the motions. That's not what this kind of pursuit is. This is pursuing to overtake. Um, if you, I remember, this wasn't the brightest thing I ever did in my life, but uh, when I was... 16 or 17, um, being brilliant wasn't necessarily a hallmark of my career, so I was working in um, a J.C. Penney store in downtown Grants Pass, Oregon. Bob, you remember that store. Um, and we had a shoplifter come in and caught him in the act, and he was about three, four steps or aisles away from me or whatever, he ran out the door, you know, the classic, you know, stop thief kind of thing, you know. And I chased him all the way down the block. It's probably a good thing that he was faster than me. Uh, who knows? I was about that big around when I was 16. He probably could have folded me into a pretzel if I'd have caught him. But nonetheless, I chased after him, and I was motivated. That kind of running... Or running for a prize, running for running to apprehend something, running to take hold of something. That's what's going on with this verse. How are you pursuing God? Are you just jogging around the block? Or are you pursuing Him with all of your might? There's a, if in the Greek, uh, Septuagint, uh, this word is... Uh, translated by um, a Greek word that means to press forward or to hasten. Both of these words have the idea of following with haste and with intensity of effort in order to catch up with something or someone. You know, our Lord is leading the way. He's showing us what the path is and what the goal is. We have a similar idea where Paul speaks of, I press toward the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. That pressing forward, that race terminology, going for the crown. It's not just a casual jog. Interesting uh, that this, this word is used here in this particular context. And yet, it shouldn't, it's not too surprising when you think about it. What had Gomer been doing? Gomer 
had been pursuing other lovers. At least two. Israel had been pursuing other spiritual lovers in their spiritual idolatry. And they'd been pursuing it hot and heavy. They didn't waste any time. They, they went right after uh, all these false gods. And in fact, that had been characteristic of them throughout their history. When you think about the book of Judges, for example, no sooner had they been re- relieved uh, from, uh, from their oppression, oppression brought onto them because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of their rebellion, that God sends someone to judge them. They're judged They're under oppression. They cast off the yoke. They have a little while, a short period of time where they go, yep, okay, we've cleaned up our act. And then they immediately would then turn around and do the same stupid stuff over and over and over again. Cycle after cycle after cycle. And you and I can do the same thing. We can be all hot and bothered about pursuing something that we want. Can we not? but be rather lackadaisical when it comes to God himself. But if you want to know the cure for ignorance and to truly know God, you must pursue him. You must. Paul, again, to Timothy, made this statement to him. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You must pursue those things. The whole idea of, and I, I, I know what it's, how it's, why it's, I get the motivation behind it. It's, it's kind of a way of saying, well, you know, I, I know that God's the only one who can do the, the change in my heart and, and so on. So, okay, so far, so good. But the idea of letting go and letting God, you ever heard that phrase? Is a rather foreign one to Scripture. I mean, I get, okay, what they're trying to say. But it's misguided. Um, We don't just kick back and say, okay, Lord, um, you know, I'm your dartboard, just throw what you need at me to get me going. No, we are to pursue him. Um, you know, it's cliche uh, in the movies that you know a, a man or a woman wakes up one morning and realizes that he or she doesn't know the person that they married. But what serves for rather tired, dramatic uh, intrigue is uh, more than just fodder for B-rated movies. That, that tragically, that is a reality of fallen human life. Both, on human, on, both in human relationships and particularly with the Lord himself. Circumstances come along, our thought processes develop, we read something, we talk to somebody, we're introduced to something, and we wonder... What have I been wasting all my time with this for? Do I really know God? How am I in this position? What do I do now? 
Um, when it comes to our relationship with our Creator, and we're ignorant of Him, it's more than just tragic, though. This passage has made it pretty clear, beginning in chapter 4, 5, um, and on into chapter 6, pretty clear that to not know God is a crime. It is a gross sin against the Creator. And it's punishable by the destructive wrath of a holy God. To not know Him personally who made us, chose us, redeemed us, because of our rebellion and our refusal to do so, is, is a horrible sin that needs to be repented of. So if this is your sin today or any day, dear friend, repent. Set yourself apart to seek him and pursue him as though your life depended upon it. Because it does. Let me draw this to a close with uh, just an application to uh, this time of year because we're all uh, you know, thinking of the birth of Christ and so on. Do you think it's any, any accident? I know you know it's not. Do you think it's any accident that the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the living word of God? The word who is the one who reveals the Father to us. Who is the source of our knowledge. If you want to know God, you've got to know Christ. Philip said to the disciple, he said, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, have I been so long with you? And you don't know that I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Boggled their minds. They wouldn't fully understand that until after the resurrection. But nonetheless, they had the Lord of glory standing right there in front of them, and they didn't see him, really. We have him revealed to us in his word, through the ministry of his spirit in our hearts, and yet sometimes we don't see him. As, as we are celebrating the incarnation of our, of our Lord, the, the one who, who uh, the Father sent to fulfill every word that was spoken of the Messiah in this book and every other one that the prophet said, uh, wrote, who fulfilled even things like this uh, resurrection on the third day that's indirectly referred to here and so many other prophecies. As he fulfills all of those things, let's not just get caught up in the fervor of the of the uh, celebration. And remember that this is really about knowing Christ. That's really what we should be doing at this time of this time of year and every time of year, but since it's on everybody's mind because of a calendar, all right. As we celebrate Christmas, let's celebrate with a mindset of how can I know him better? How can I pursue him better, both 
in the course of my celebrations and my reflections and my meditations upon what has brought all this about? And then how am I going to live uh, pursuing him going forward by his grace, calling upon him, Lord, tear me so that you can heal me. Lord, wound me so that you can bind me up. Lord, revive us, raise us up so that I can live before you. Help me to press on to know you, Lord, because you I can depend on. Your going out is just as sure as the dawn. You will come to us and refresh us as showers, as the spring rain. That's my hope. And I pray that that is your prayer uh, during this Christmas season, but as well as every day of your lives. Pursue your Lord and be cured of your ignorance. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you did not leave us in darkness, but you did uh, reveal yourself to us so that the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. We no longer are condemned to live in the ignorance of sin, rebellion, and slavery to the devil. But Lord, you, by sending your Son, revealed yourself to us in your plan for the redemption of your people so that we may live no longer in bondage, no longer in darkness, but in light and freedom. Lord, I pray that we would not be ignorant of you, that we would not forget you, that we would not refuse to know you, but with all of our hearts, pursue you. Lord, help us to do that for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.